On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menas, and joining me for this episode of the show, I have Mel Jones from Fox Cricket. Mel, how are you? I'm brilliant, except for the unfiltered bit. That concerns me slightly, <laughs> but I, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> well, usually the unfiltered bit refers to opinions and, you know, hard-hitting thoughts on cricket, but... You know, in today's episode, I think this is a unique opportunity to to sit down with you and talk about your journey as a player and then a broadcaster. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting for the listeners. You've been such a part of our screens for so long now. And I don't think your story is out there as much as it should be. So this is a great (laughs) opportunity. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Well, let's start with you playing. You, you made your debut for Australia in 1997 in a one-day game. You played your last game in 2005 made a, a test century on debut against England, 131, and uh, played 61 50-over games for Australia. But you missed T20 cricket, is that right? Just a little bit too old. It was that old hashtag born too soon, I think. So I, I do give my mum a little bit of grief every time that the uh, the season comes around and T20 franchise is kicking off for the women in particular. But uh, look, had a yeah thoroughly enjoyed the time that I did with the Australian team. And then from, from there you've gone on to commentate on, on T20 tournaments and test matches all around the world. Um, but let's go right back to the beginning. You came to Australia from England when you were very, very young and your father was from West Indian descent. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about playing for England? Never. That's a good answer. Yeah. And I think I paused too long there before giving that answer as well. No, no, no. Look, my, my mum's Aussie. Um, she's from a small country town called Rutherglen uh, in Victoria, wine country. Uh, and she did the uh, travel Europe, teach, work, explore uh, back in the uh, back in the 70s. Met my dad over there um, and voila, as they say. Uh, but I was only three months old when mum and I came back to, back to Australia. So um, as soon as I was born there, you can see the birth certificate. It has Australian citizen on it. Uh, so well and truly Aussie. I know that you didn't meet your father till you were 16, but yeah. he did have an influence in, in getting you into cricket. How, how did that yeah, come about? Yeah, look, I, so he, he's Trinidadian. My dad, um, he loves his cricket, played it himself, not a, at a high level at all, but very social uh, throughout the leagues in and around London. Um, and back in those days, it was when um, the West Indies guys were, were starting to tour and play county cricket over there. So there was a really quite a tight-knit West Indian community. Mm. Um, and he was involved in that. So he knew Malcolm Marshall and Joel Garner and the likes uh, through more the social scene than anything else so when the West Indies toured Australia uh, and I was very young I was still primary school age at that stage and Melbourne was pretty white country back then sort of thing so when the West Indies toured and they were doing so well I sort of you know sort of gravitated towards those guys because they were very successful as well and, and kids they were electric yeah, weren't they? They were brilliant um so yeah and dad would organize some tickets for me through the boys to uh, to go along and watch I'd 
you know, skip a couple of days of uh, school as well and go along and even watch tour games, you know, versus Victoria at the MCG when there was absolutely nobody there uh, and had an absolute ball following them. So I guess uh, that sort of side, the connection from that side, the fact that I played a lot of backyard cricket at my grandparents' place in Rutherglen with my cousins and cricket was just such an iconic sport throughout the summer. It just sort of just kept on gravitating towards it. Yeah, I um, watched some videos of Viv Richards in the 70s batting in England (laughs) and he made hundreds of runs in a series and they had a lot of footage of the the crowd the west indian supporters in, yeah. in the crowd really getting into it with the reggae and the, yep. the peace pipes and all sorts of <laughs> things going on what's your relationship with like with your dad obviously you know you didn't meet him till you were 16 yeah what what, what how did that happen uh yeah look i, I suppose you, you keep growing up and you get more and more curious about where you come from and all those sorts of things and um it, yeah just i suppose at 16 too you, you're old enough to to travel and and you know stand on your own two feet a little bit more. So uh, Dad came out to Australia in 1988, I think it was, if my maths is right. And, um, and then I went over about six months later as well. And then there was another reasonably large gap between me going over and he coming over again. And then since then I've sort of been over through cricket or work or travel nearly every year. Funny thing was though, I hadn't been to Trinidad to the – I did the CPL two years ago. So met my dad when I was 16 and then, you know, early 40s, I then meet the rest of the Tyson family over in Trinidad, which was, you know, a really unique experience too. It's amazing to sort of sit across people that you've never met before um, but have a look at them and go – oh, my God, that's me, or that's my dad, or, you know, in the way in which they say things or, you know, the way in which they move and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's been a, certainly a different uh, upbringing family-wise, but um, but a good one at that. And is meeting your father and meeting your family in Trinidad kind of, uh, I guess, not resolved anything, but kind of given you a bit more of a complete picture of yourself? Yeah, I guess so in a lot of ways, um, and probably more so in the whole identity um, side of things in terms of a, of a, a colour and race kind of thing. As I mentioned, you know, Melbourne was a pretty white country. I grew up in a very white family and, you know, the family's been absolutely outstanding. But there's always sort of, I guess, a little bit of a missing piece, particularly when it's something that's so visible. So people are always asking, you know, where are you from, all those sorts of things. And, you know, I'd, I'd basically say, well, I'm from Melbourne. Um, but, you know, you get that quizzical look again. So it was it's nice to be able to explore that side of the family a little bit more and um, it does explain a few things. Um, probably my mum would say my stubbornness often comes from the Tyson side of the family. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be able to get a get a sense of where they've come from and the history of you know my dad's side from through the West Indies through the slave trade back to Africa and all those sorts of things as well. Wow. Uh, did you find it easy sort of living in Mel- uh, Victoria and growing up and? being, you know, half West Indian, half Australian? Yeah, I had a ball. Um, like I said, I had a, a brilliant family um, and I think my mum probably protected me from a lot of things that I didn't probably really realise when I was a kid. Um, I was a bit blasé and just sort of went out and sort of got things done and did good. things, yeah, which was which is good in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, you certainly had, there were certainly moments where that weren't overly enjoyable, but I think in some way, shape or form, probably every kid has that growing up in, in their own way. And it, yeah, it creates a little bit of resilience and it toughens you up in, in some ways. And yeah, you learn a lot about yourself and other people as well. Um, but Melbourne, Melbourne was great. You know, my mum was uh, pretty much a single mum. She was not a sports person at all. She'll still ask day one, 30 minutes into the Boxing Day test, who's winning, dear? Like she's got <laughs> absolutely no idea. But she, she scored the first goal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but she, you know, she was one of those mums that, you know, drove me to little ass or basketball, whatever sport I wanted to, to play. Um, she'd let me play drums and the trumpet in the front lounge room and make horrendous noise and, and do all those That's sorts of things. That's the West Indian coming that out. It must be. <laughs> and uh, I know that uh, one of your early coaches was Peter Hanscom's late father. Yeah. Um, he was a 
school teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your sort of relationship with him like? Yeah, John Hanscom, he was my geography teacher and he was just, he was just a brilliant guy. Loved, passionate about cricket. Um, so when I got to Elwood High School, got into geography class, which I think was a compulsory subject uh, to start with, uh, we'd go on excursions and we'd just talk cricket on, on the bus heading out to, you know, Lurdy de Gorge to look at rock formations and all this sort of thing. Um, and then we were lucky enough to have a few girls at the school that were also interested in cricket. Um, and at that stage, I still didn't even know that pretty much women played cricket. At, at, I didn't know there was an Australian women's cricket team. Um, I don't think Australia did either. Pro- no, probably not. You know, and they were, you know, probably kicking backside all around the world at that stage, as they usually do. So, um so yeah, he um, because he loved cricket, he didn't care who was playing. He's just as long as he could get involved and, and help out and make it an enjoyable experience. So he got a, a girls' cricket team together for the high school. And we we toured New South Wales. He took us to New Zealand uh, with Deb Noonan, our PE teacher, and um, then they got us involved in a in a local cricket club, um, and that was sort of the start of start of it all. But he was my first ever coach. Um, he should have taught me a little bit more about how to play through the V. That might have helped me a bit more. But he was, <laughs> but he was great, and he, I can see a little bit of where Pete's come from too, because John Hanscom was always about footwork, and Pete played a lot of tennis, so just making sure that you can get up and down the wicket. So yeah, it was. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without without him. And do you have a relationship with Peter Hanscom? Oh, oh yeah, not as much. Pete was. Um, born you know, well past me finishing high school yeah. and the like but when we sort of made the connection you know there's obviously um something a little bit more there than just uh, uh knowing each other and then i used to work for a sports management company too that, that pete was with at, the, at that stage as well so we'd always sort of you know bump into each other um and it's nice to know that you've sort of got that little connection in the past as well you must have been upset when john hanskin passed away yeah yeah definitely um particularly because as, as i mentioned such a you know, important person in my life, not just for cricket, but he was just a really good bloke too, just an absolutely lovely guy and your your heart certainly goes out for Pete. I mean, cricket is built upon those people that love the game and and share it with the next generation. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's why I'm still so connected to and passionate about club cricket and community cricket. Um, As much as um, my identity is probably more around the sort of the, the elite side of things, at the heart of it, the people that you meet through club cricket are the ones that you you still catch up with now more so. You know, when we played for Australia, you'd sort of meeting people at the airport, sort of introducing each other because it was such a, a disparity between um, Aussie and state and club for the women's game at that stage anyway. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's what I absolutely love, just community sport, I guess. Not, I shouldn't just um, keep it to, to cricket, any sport along those lines. And when you were growing up, what, what did players inspired you, uh, male or female? Yeah, um, look, it was probably an identity thing as well back then. Um, I can remember having this very dodgy old black and white television. Uh, the first Olympics I would have watched would have been the Moscow Olympics. Um, and the people that stood out to me, I didn't probably realise at the time, but were people that I could identify with a lot more. So uh, Merle Notti, who was a sprinter for Jamaica, and um, Daly Thompson, who was uh, was in the uh, decathlon for, for England. So it, it was people like that. Yvonne Goolagong, those, those types of players. I always wanted to go to the Olympics as a kid. I think most kids did at some point in time. I did a lot of little athletics. So I thought, you know, sprints or jumps or something on the heptathlon was probably going to be my way in. I was... <laughs> Never, I was never, never any good to do that. Um, always followed the the American women's basketball team, like Shaw Swoops and the like. So it was it was those kind of players until I sort of could connect a little bit more with with Australian players as I got got older in a variety of sports. Oh, that's interesting that race played such a, a part. And I guess back then wasn't 
the sort of identities in Australia to look up to as, as there is now. I mean, things have yeah. really changed. You must be happy now that young girls growing up have role models like yourself and current players. Yeah, young boys and girls. It's it's wonderful to go along to the, the WBBL games these days and, and see, you know, magnificent crowds. But, you know, I see young boys there just cramming the sidelines waiting for autographs and almost in tears because they haven't got the full set before mum and dad are trying to dra- drag them home. Um, so it's nice to be able to see that sport in Australia is becoming a lot more inclusive and it's a lot more diverse right from players to coaches to administrators and, and broadcasters so it's nice for, for any young boy or girl if they've just arrived in Australia or if they've been born and bred here in Australia to to say yeah this is there's a space for me in the sport a variety of uh, role models yeah um, when you were a Australian women's player back in then, how much cricket was there for you to play per year? Yeah, nothing like there is now sort of thing. Um, look, a, a massive year would have been if we had an Ashes. Um, you know, it was a six-week tour to England. Um, but in saying that, we... I was never paid to play for Australia. So then the challenge came around work and leave and, um, you know, trying to juggle all those sorts of things. So, so how much did it cost you to go on those tours? Yeah, um, I'd, I'd hate to actually add it up, <laughs> to, to be completely honest. I can remember one tour, um, one of the girls got picked for Australia and she got sacked from her job. She worked at a sports store in Canberra because she was taking the two weeks off. So it was just wow. a completely different space. You know, we would... You'd go to England for an Ashes tour and it was pounds. And back then it was, you know, the exchange rate was pretty horrendous. And, you know, you'd be almost taking the bread rolls at breakfast and some jams and just, right, that's lunch. <laughs> you could yeah. hoard your like per diems back, yeah, so you could get your washing done and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, we laugh about it, but it actually, you know, there's some great stories from those experiences as well when you're, you're touring India and, you know, the, the budgets are a shoestring to get you over there. So you're on trains and, and buses in India. Um, and practically, I guess that means like sharing rooms in, with all, uh, you know, lots of people. Poor old Shelley Nitschke, yeah. <laughs> Christmas Day in India, we uh, got to a hotel room because we actually, our manager pulled us from one of the accommodations because it wasn't <laughs> up to scratch. There were monkeys outside the, the windows and we got into a new hotel and uh, there was just, there were only double beds <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> Lisa Healy and Elise Perry <laughs> put in a hotel with monkeys outside <laughs> their window now. But again, like it was just, it was just, so much fun. So yeah, they're all double beds. So we did the whole trains, planes, and automobiles, and whacked the pillows down the middle of the uh, the bed, and, and we're all good. <laughs> and what, what was the what was the camaraderie like of the team then? Because you know, in those situations where you know you're being pushed to your limit, I yeah. guess it can bring groups together. Yeah, yeah, or, or apart, I guess one one or the other. Um, we, we were pretty most bit of both, bit of both at, at times. And look, you know. Touring anywhere, not specifically just India, can um, can be stressful at times depending on how the team's travelling and, and all those sorts of things. I think the crew that we generally had were, you know, they were just really good people. They were there to play cricket and they understood that there would be some few stressful times and if that was the case, you just generally took yourself off somewhere for a little while and you, you knew Keep not to. <laughs> That's it. And, you know, the stress could come in a variety of ways. We were... We were actually in Chennai when the tsunami hit in 2004 and it hit the the day before we played um, and it was the end of a long, hard four-and-a-half-week tour and I think by that stage everyone was wanting to go home anyhow. So there's all those sorts of stresses which, you know, you never – you don't know how to prepare for something like that. I mean, you can prepare for, you know, poor form or, you know, what have you, know, rain delays and, and all those sorts of things. So – but again, um, and I mentioned it earlier, that that whole building up of resilience certainly um, is a value-add from, from playing sport 
And do you have some lifelong friends from those times? Yeah. Um, sorry for them. But, yeah, they're, they're stuck <laughs> with me now, <laughs> most definitely. Um, you know, I played a lot of cricket with um, with and against it at a state level with Julia Price, who's now still involved. She's now gone from coaching in, into into broadcast. Ishigua, I played against a little bit as she was starting her career and I was sort of finishing. She's now with, with Fox Sports. Um, she actually said that you inspired her to get into broadcasting. That must be nice to Really? Yeah. Oh, sucker. There we go. <laughs> um, oh, look, she's, she's one of the best. I was very fortunate enough to be at, at her wedding in, in September and there was such a wonderful crew of um, cricketers and, and friends and that's that's probably the one of the best parts. And everyone sort of says it from, from playing sport at, at whatever level is. Are uh, those lifelong friends. Ali Mitchell, um, who's over here this summer with, with Seven. Um, so, the, yeah, there's a, there's a broad range and it's always nice every year the Australian uh, uh, Cricket Association always puts on day three, I think it is, of, of every test match, a, a past players day. And it's nice to see more and more of the, the female players attending that um, and it's great to be able to catch up with them every summer too. That's nice to hear. You wrote on your web website that you were dropped several times from the many, Australian... Many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> and how, I guess how hard was it? Because, you you know, you alluded to the fact that you found it difficult when you were dropped. Yeah, oh, it, it's, it's difficult for for anyone. And uh, look, and, you know, you sort of look back on it now and it's so different, isn't it? You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I mean, you had different challenges back then with, with work and uni. Uh, you're not, you weren't full-time professionals as, as the players were today, so... As much as you would like to be able to contribute time to to your sport, um, sometimes you couldn't do as much as what you would have liked to. Sometimes it was poor choices on my behalf sort of thing. So, you know, I'm a lot more philosophical uh, now than I certainly was back then. But again, that's, you know, you, you can't change those sorts of things. And it, it probably... For some players like myself who – I was very lucky. I played in, a, in an era in which I think I played with some of the very best cricketers Australian or the world's ever seen, you know, the likes of Belinda Clark and Karen Rolton and Catherine Fitzpatrick. It was an outstanding team. So to be able to – I think when you first get dropped, you, you start to realise just, you know, what you <laughs> – how much you you enjoy it, but also what you're missing out on in terms of playing with people like that. Um, so then you work your backside off and you get back in again and, you know, a variety of other things happen. It might just be poor form, which you can't put your finger on at the time. Sometimes you just don't know. And then you, you figure that out and you get back in again. Uh, I think it makes you more appreciative of, of uh, what you have. I guess as well, the, back then the gap between, you know, playing for Australia and then the level below would have even been further than before so it was kind of yeah yeah and and again back to to club cricket as well and you know that that's one of the nice things to be able to sit back and look at uh, the development of the game now to see the standard of like the the likes of the WBBL uh, the the Super League in England that that gap is is uh, is lessening so the jump isn't as big so that you can see young players get picked from um, WBBL, the likes of, you know, like a Sophie Molyneux of Georgia Wareham who played in the recent... Silver Holmes, who's 15, y- yeah, playing for the Sixers. Exactly, you know. Um, well, you, I bet you would have jumped at the chance to play <laughs> WBBL at 15. Um, was I even playing club cricket at 15? I might have just had my first game of club cricket wow. at 15. So I read that, you know, you weren't picked on an Ashes series and then someone offered you a job broadcasting. Yes, thank you, Chris Matthews. She always says I've got to give her a shout-out, CEO of the Wacker. <laughs> at first you said no because you were a bit dirty that you weren't playing in the well, match. I didn't but, want to commentate. But when they told you it was 300 <laughs> quid a day, you were just like, I'm there. Yeah, tell me where, when, what to wear. <laughs> and that 300 quid was 300 quid more than the Australian players were getting paid for playing in the game. Yep. They were probably paying to yep. be there. that's it. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's crazy when you th- sort of think about it. 
now. Yeah, it is. And, and that didn't change too much. I remember I was still playing for Australia and it would have been 2004 or five, and um, the room attendants were getting paid more than what we were to, to play for Australia that day. So, yeah, it took a while to, for things to shift. But in my last game for Australia in 2005 to, you know, if you went 2015, things had changed so much. And then from 15 to now, it, you know, it's exponentially changed yeah. again. Um, and that's almost the same. You know, if you speak to Ian Chappell back in the day where he wasn't hardly paid at all, and he could probably say that same time frame almost shifted quite quite a large mm. section of yeah, chunk I think of time I heard for the Alan men. Border was paid ninety grand for his last contract with Cricket Australia, whereas yeah. the current Australian captain would be on ten, fifteen times that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you wrote on your website that one thing that uh, disappointed you was that you faltered when it mattered most for the team. What what, do you, what sort of do you mean by that? Yeah, I think um, there's there's always going to be moments in your career where you know and I mentioned I, was, I played in a, an exceptionally talented side that um, you know those players you know didn't bring their A game for that day for whatever reason all of a sudden it's down to you to um, to get the team over the line and because it probably didn't happen as much I guess understanding what they go through day in day out to get the team over the line you just had no idea and that, I, I guess it made me appreciate even more the quality of the players that I was playing around but yeah there was there was moments where you know you had that that opportunity to to stand up and um, win a game, win a game for for whether it's your state and particularly in this this instance your country and, and you don't come through with that, and I think that's I, I hope that's what I can also bring to broadcast is that you know I was I was I'd like to probably say an average Australian player I certainly wasn't the best by a country mile, but I wasn't too shabby either sort of thing so I'd like to be able to in the broadcast side of things be able to bring a little bit of knowledge and experience of how a variety of different players are feeling at a different stage rather than just um, the very best sort of, you know, casting their eye over a game and saying, oh, well, you know, I've heard some of the, the girls say before, you know, Karen Rolton will just say, I'll oh, just hit it over cover. I said, Rolton, it's easy for you, you know, all of us, you know, mere mortals just trying to get the ball into a gap kind of thing. So, um, yeah, and that's, you know, if you had your magic wand, you'd, you'd love to be able to change those moments, but you can't. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, so... What about the treatment of female players when you were playing by male cricket players? What was it like? Because I can't imagine it was very good. Um, I wouldn't know because we hardly spoke to each other. Like never the two shall meet almost because when I first started playing, we were Women's Cricket Australia. So it was a completely different organisation to the ACB as it was known then. Australian Cricket Board, yeah, that's right. Uh, integration sort of happened um, while we were the back end of my playing career and Belinda Clark and, you know, cannot say enough about this woman. She is an amazing individual for, for doing all she did on the cricket field but then at the same point in time being CEO of Women's Cricket Australia and overseeing the integration with Cricket Australia at the same time as, as leading the country on the field. She was doing it all off the field as well. So I guess it was a huge battle for Women's Cricket Australia to get funding, to get money, to keep going. Yeah, most definitely and that's you know that's obviously one of the, the main drivers behind uh, the integration but also you want that united front. You know, it's not what we're saying is it's not it's men's cricket and women's cricket, it's just cricket. Mm. Um, and that goes for whether it's, you know, disability or, you know, a variety, indoor cricket or a variety of other other spaces in, in, in the spectrum as well. So, um, so yeah, so it wasn't that we were treated badly. We just, we probably didn't think too much of them either or vice versa. I, I do know club cricket and sometimes the New South Wales women's team would come up and sort of share the yeah. oval and they'd be... Off in the corner. And oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So from the men's side of things, it was 
yeah, because we were under two different bodies, we we didn't really see each other. But at times that we did, the guys were brilliant. Adam Gilchrist, I remember Justin Langer inviting us into the change room to post a test match, which, you know, you're standing there pinching yourself going, this is amazing. That's nice. Um, so that side of things, when opportunities did arise, I thought the guys were, had been fantastic. Um, it did, yeah, it probably lessened as you did filter down into, into club land. You know, there's still instances today where, you know, clubs get grants for women's programs and then all of a sudden there's lights for the for the men's team at training nights and, you know, the women's still changing in their cars kind of thing. So, yeah, but it, it was different. Um, it wasn't the best way to go about, um, you know, being an all-inclusive sport. But again, in a, in a weird kind of way, it created a lot of really strong, resilient, forceful women who just had a lot of nous about them and, and found a way. And could stand up to adversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by them doing that, I think we've had a, a wonderful platform to to launch from um sometimes when you you really got to work hard for it um you appreciate appreciate it a lot more but i think you've got a, a better foundation to to really launch from as well so i can imagine there would have been a lot of subtle sexism around oh, yeah constantly <laughs> yeah and a lot of just you know unconscious bias and all those sorts of things going on which again as a younger player you don't really realise until you stop and you look back on it now. And I, I can sit back and look back on a variety of different situations and go, oh, right, I get it now. Um, but, you know, the, the senior players around you just, you know, would say, don't worry about that, just get on with it, we'll, we'll sort this out kind of thing. So, you know, and in some ways I guess, you know, I've probably done it myself um, when I'm older to some of the younger players. Um, I'm hoping that the younger players don't have to do it to the next generation. Same. <laughs> now what about your treatment as a broadcaster? Because I read that, you have a WhatsApp group to deal with some of the stick you get on social media. And, <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned Lisa Stalake is in the WhatsApp group. But yep. a, she was actually on the last podcast. I just wonder sort of what that's like. I mean, I know all broadcasters get it, male oh, or female. Yeah, but completely. I can imagine being a female could be a little bit... It's just a little bit more specific, Yeah, you know, um, what uh, a male broadcaster cops um and i'm certainly not saying some of the guys get you know cop a lot of it as well but the what they cop and what we cop is are two different things in, in a lot of spaces um so it's nice just to be able to float a few things sometimes um you know most of the time the response from you know any social media gurus is just ignore it and, and don't reply kind of thing and i think that's one of the big chats that we've always had as a group is about finding your voice and but not only finding it when to use it and how to use it. And so we, we talk through these instances so that if, you know, some, one of us, it is grating on us a little bit and we think there is a moment where there's a, a learning opportunity for the broader community, not probably specifically the person who's actually having a go at you because I think nine times out of ten they're probably a you know, lost cause in a yeah. lot of ways. But if you can phrase things in a way that at least stops a few people and go, oh, okay. I get that that was, you know, untoward or, you know, incorrect or, or what have you, that you'd like to think that there's a, you know, moments of, of learning, then we'll sort of give it a crack and we've got a, we know we've got a, a good crew behind us. So I guess it's good to be able to bounce stuff off friends. And, yeah. And if, you know, something's upsetting you, send it to somebody and they, yeah. someone might send back, oh, look what I got, this is worse. <laughs> yeah, have a bit exactly. of a laugh and yeah. I've got a 24-hour rule with everything in my life pretty much if I'm afforded 24 hours to think about it, that usually whatever happens, if you just give it that time, you'll look at it in a completely different mindset those 24 hours later. So 
And if in those 24 hours we have, can have a little bit of a laugh about it, it makes it even easier. And it's also you can't really respond to that kind of oh, stuff, can no, you? No, you can't. You've got to let it go. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's social media, isn't it? As, as good it is, it, you, you know you're going to have to take your good with your bad. But I think for the most case, particularly for women's sport broadly, I think that's one of the big reasons why I look back at 2015 as being sort of that watershed moment for a lot of women's sport in Australia, that people actually had a voice in and around it. Now, women's sport, any team, netball, hockey, basketball, um, cricket, have always been out and about. Individual athletes, golf, athletics, swimming, tennis, have been just absolutely kicking backside for ever and a day in the women's space. But we just didn't have the voice or the tools to be able to actually get that out a little bit more. 2015, I think people kept going, and it was a year where we won a lot of world titles and championships. People were going, why aren't we hearing more about this? Um, and then that momentum started to, to gather, which was fantastic from a positive point of view, but with that you've also got to take all the uh, the knockers and naysayers out there as well. It's good to see you can, um, you know, it's like water off a duck's back after a while. you just got to move on and keep doing what you're doing, don't you? That's it. I also read that when you got into media, you noticed that commentary boxes don't have women's toilets nearby. Um, yep. And usually they're the furthest away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess it keeps you pretty fit? It does, or it keeps the boys on their toes because, you know, <laughs> I had a couple of incidences um, around the world where you just need the loo really, really quickly. So it's you're going to make a pretty quick decision there whether or not you're going to bolt down three flights of stairs through the broadcast production box to, to find them or you just knock on the door and say move aside fellas I'm coming through <laughs> well at least you didn't lock yourself in a toilet like Ali Mitchell did oh. when she started her career so um, that's very unlike Ali oh, she missed, I think she missed the stint because of it anyway well it's on the podcast somewhere in the past um <laughs> When you finished playing cricket, did yeah. you think as a woman that a career in cricket broadcasting was actually possible? Oh, God, no. No, no I'm still pinching myself now. No, I did it. Uh, the first game I did, as, as we chatted about, because they paid me 300 quid. And then, you know, I was doing a game a year. So it was just a nice way to keep in touch with, with the players and have a watch of some good cricket. And then as the years went on, there was, you know, a couple more games and a couple more games. And then work was really flexible to allow me time to go off and do a little World Cup here or there. Um, and then it got to the point where I was spending sort of, you know, three, four months away. And we had to sort of make the decision between staying on at work and doing less commentary or giving this a crack full time. And even then, I mean, going into the world of freelance. Yeah, it's scary. Oh, my God. God, yeah. Um, you know, you've got a mortgage at home. You think, you know, what if they all say no? All those sorts of things. Because you sort of, with freelance, you're waiting for people to call yeah. you and you you can feel a little bit powerless. That Yeah, know. most definitely. Um, it, it, I suppose it was just almost perfect timing in the sense that there was so much more T20 franchise cricket starting up around the world. There was um, so much more women's cricket. You know, it was really kicking off with WBBL and Super League and had an exhibition IPL game. So, yeah, it was just one of those moments where it was either, well, you've got to give it a crack now. You don't want to look back on your time and go, why didn't I? So, yeah, so good people around you just said, suck it up, Jones, you'll be right. There's, you know, you get enough good friends and uh, opportunities back here to fall back on if, you know, if all goes a bit pear-shaped. Yeah, there's been some big changes in the sort of diversity in commentary boxes. England, Sky Sports yep. have sort of helped with that. Uh, the Most IPL definitely. especially. Yeah, they um, started it all. four years ago maybe. You were five, one of the five yeah. years. You were yeah. one of the four women brought in there with Lisa 
and a couple of other people mm-hmm. to commentate on the men's IPL, which is yeah. very significant. Huge. It did take Australia a while to catch up. Mm-hmm. Not so much on Channel 10, but just generally, I think. Yeah. It's taken a while for us to sort of We're have a, a more diverse product. Yeah. We're we're still a very conservative country, and I don't think you sort of realise it till you start to travel a little bit more and see how other countries go about things. And I'm Especially not saying politically. It, yeah, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I mean, we're we're still a very young country. We're vastly removed from the world in terms of just geographically. Um, so all those sorts of things make up your own country identity and, and culture and all those sorts of things as well. So yeah, so in that sense, yeah, I think it has taken us a a little while but I think once we've sort of grappled with it mostly in our heads over the last couple of years I think you know the majority of people I I get the sense feel quite um, energised by by the change Um, It's such a refreshing change Yeah it is and it's the change is also hopefully a reflection of the way Australia is changing with just diversity of people and all those sorts of things as well you know there's going to be people who will be sort of uh, don't want that sort of shift to happen you know it's always been like this and we liked it like this so why why do we need to change um what's a woman doing commentating on a men's match yeah exactly all those sorts of things but um you'd like to think that uh if you know when you get in there and you always obviously try and do your your best job and you you want to try and make it as, as enjoyable and as educational and um just as engaging as you possibly can that um hopefully you can win over a few and the, the ones that you'd don't win over you hope that there's enough of the old school guys and and girls on there that they they can connect with and i think that's the beautiful part about broadcast in australia at the moment is that there is so many platforms that you can connect with whether it's i think the test match has three radio stations it's got the two tv there's the digital platforms there is just a a wide range so if um you know if i'm not your cup of tea there's always there's always another channel well fox cricket has has been a much better broadcast with you know, a wide range of people presenting the cricket. And yeah, it, it brings in different stories too. You know, it's I mean, a lot of the sort of criticism, I guess, had been just hearing the same voices and stories over and over again. So you might be able to talk about that same story, but all of a sudden, because I'd never heard about it or, or I look at it from a different perspective, I might ask the same question but in a different way and it might just sort of take you off into a, a different realm. But I think because you never were handed anything on a platter, you've really had to become like a, a professional broadcaster that can do everything host analyze present and also add sort of your expertise to it um, yeah so i guess what sort you know what sort of commentator do you want to be <laughs> that's, that's a good question and who, who do you sort of look around <laughs> and go yeah i like the way they do it yeah um i guess i'm a it's probably like my choice of i grew up with we we're chatting about this off here i grew up with dogs you know i was a, we're a dog family and Mum would always go to the pound and grab a pizza, you know, a little bit of everything sort of thing. And I think that's probably like my commentary. You know, I look around and <laughs> I never grew up listening to commentators going, oh, I like that about that commentator because I never thought I was going to do it. So I was just more looking at the at the game itself and listening to what they're saying about the game. Um, but now getting into it, yeah, you notice different things about different people. I, I love Ian Bishop, his professionalism and the way he's just always analysing the game and looking forward to where the, the game could potentially be going. So I love that about, particularly when you're on lead, that's, you know, one of the cruxes of it. Is he as cool as he, off air as he is on air, Ian yeah, Bishop? Yeah, so he's, he's Trinidadian. 
That's, right. that's the bit that I don't get from a dad, I think. <laughs> um, Mark Howard is, is, is exactly the same, and I love Howie on it because he's he's not a former Australian player as well. So, again, he brings a, a different perspective to it, and he's, he's got the Howie game. So his, his, his sports knowledge and ability to, to engage people, I think, is, is absolutely outstanding. Um, and you just you look at the way in which different people go about it. Um, Damien Fleming, he'll make sure that, He's, he's pretty much got his own checklist of words and phrases and the like so he doesn't repeat himself, which I think is, is really important as a, as a listener. You don't want to hear the same word. And I know I get stuck on words sometimes and, you know, you cop a little bit going, oh, here she goes again saying I the same. I hate that when I listen to a podcast. Yeah, and I've <laughs> you've said the same word. word, I know. Um, Scott Styrus always says, you Aussies, your go-to word, default word is outstanding. And I started thinking about it and I went, oh, I do that's say that word. <laughs> I'm so glad that's not. So um, who are some of the pe- – you spend a lot of time in studio with some other commentators mm-hmm. who are some of the real pests pests um scott Starris, i mentioned him before yep. yeah 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 he, Kiwi. Um, yeah <laughs> what about some aussies he's, he's a little bit of a pest um who's a who's a pest that's a good one um D- damien fleming's always he's looking for a way to to get in at you he's he's, he's always on the ball so you always got to have got to make sure that you got your bring your a game because he'll ask you something and you're like well i haven't been paying attention there so that's that's always very very handy who else? Um, Darren Lehman's always, he's a bit sly. He'll yeah, always he, he keep you on your joke. toe. Yeah. What about Andrew Simons? I mean, you're both half West Indian. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever did you ever run into him or did you work with him yet? Oh, we've worked, um, so this year, obviously, with, with Fox Sports, we've been on quite a few games together. Um, and paths would sort of cross at different stages um, in the past as well. Um, he, he, look, he's, he's great. He's really fun to work with. We had a game the other night where there was a, uh, where there was a streaker and I was on lead. Uh, he was in with us. With I think it was um, Junior. And I must admit, I thought, oh, oh where's this going to go? Because broadcast doesn't show the streaker anymore because you don't want to give them any airtime. Yep. <laughs> and we're all like, what's Roy going to say? Because <laughs> he was going to describe what the streaker is like. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, lot, lots of fun. Got a little bit of sweaty palms there for a moment. Um, but yeah, just. Lots and Do you lots have of like fun. your hand on his microphone cable no, or something? Just... No. <laughs> He's all good. Ultimate professional. All right. Uh, well, last last thing before I let you go, Mel. So I know on your website that you, you wrote that one of your passions is providing females with the opportunities and encouragement to achieve their sporting goals. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we've seen this amazing shift and the WBBL is – on this fantastic development, yeah. where do you see the future of women's cricket? Yeah, it's still a leader, and I think it's always has been. I think it's probably actually shifted a lot of sports forward in a shorter space of time. I think the AFLW certainly probably came into fruition a lot quicker than what they were probably planning because of the WBBL starting. So for, from the, the cricket side of things, I see yeah always being a leader um, both on and off the field as well and I say that in the sense of um, full-time contracts we've probably got the best contract system in the world we've got the best domestic competition in the world but we're also at Cricket Australia and the States seeing a big shift in um, governance and leadership of um, you know senior female execs as well so Stephanie Beltrami now is um, general manager of media rights at, at Cricket Australia. Uh, you can look at every state, and there's you know more and more females. Uh, Chris Matthews, the CEO of the of the Wacker, um, more females on boards. Um, that side of things as well, which does change the sport 
from in you know internally as well as externally from from the playing point of view so there's that old saying which i I probably say too much, but I think it's really important. You can't be what you can't see. So we're starting to see all these fantastic female athletes doing just absolutely brilliant things on the field. But we're always also seeing pathways now for for women who love this sport but aren't an athlete. Um, so that's really exciting as well. Brings more people to cricket, and I think that the big women, the big bash generally has brought the female and the male plays closer together because of the club environment. Yeah, which I, completely. I think yeah. is really nice. Yeah. I've noticed a shift covering it over the last few years. Yeah, there was a – Hattie Burkett took a brilliant catch to get the heat into the final the other day. One of the first tweets coming out was Glenn Maxwell saying, basically, can you give me some tips because he dropped a soda <laughs> the other day. Um, you wouldn't have seen that, you know, 10, 15 not years ago. Um, but now it's just – and that's not a forced thing. That's just a natural reaction to seeing something brilliant on the cricket field where we just say now – it is just cricket. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Mel, thank you so much for coming on the Absolute podcast. Absolute pleasure. No, I had a ball. Um, you're one of my favourite broadcasters. I think you're doing an amazing job at Fox Cricket and on the radio. So good luck with the rest of summer and in the future. I know you're going to be around the world on <laughs> T20 tournaments all year. So enjoy and uh, hopefully we can catch up another time. Sounds absolutely brilliant. I'd love to. Thanks so much to Mel Jones from Fox Cricket for coming on the podcast. I just want to remind you that if you've got a moment, please go on to iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show on and rate and review the podcast. And please uh, share the show on social media and let all your cricket-loving friends know about the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Well, that's it for this episode. I've been your host, Andrew Menzel. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered, and we'll be back soon with another show. Thank you.